From Equality Arizona, you're listening to the Arizona Equals Conversation. I'm Gene Woodbury. At each week on the show, I sit down and talk with an LGBTQ person living in Arizona about their path in life through a network of relationships to communities, places, and people. Today, I'm publishing an interview I did with Samuel Cars, a trans teenager living in the East East Valley. He's a student athlete and advocate who's been involved in a lot of our Queer People Fit programming and is very active as the leader of his school's GSA club and in advocacy at the state capitol, which is where I first met him. I'll always say that the best thing about my job is getting to listen to and learn from really smart people. I've had the opportunity to interview politicians, business owners, and something I always try to ask is how they think about making the difficult decisions they have to make, which of course they have to make all the time. And I asked Samuel about this too. As the leader of his school's GSA club, he's had to make some surprisingly difficult decisions, and I really appreciated getting to talk with him about that process. For privacy reasons and considering the political climate that we're in, I've censored the name of his school. This won't affect really anything about the interview, but that's why there's some static in a couple places. With that out of the way, I think it's important to mention that if you're listening to this episode on the date that it's published, it's October 12th. Today is the day that early voting begins in Arizona, and your ballot could be in your mailbox right now. So don't forget to vote. If you're curious about anything on your ballot at all, just visit equalityarizona.org vote for our full, comprehensive voter guide. And while you're on our website, you can also check out equalityarizona.org stories for the full archive of Arizona Equals interviews. And if you want to add your story to the archive, you can sign up to be a guest on a future episode of the podcast. For now, I'll let Samuel introduce himself and get this conversation started. Hi, my name is Samuel Cars, and I am a youth advocate here in Arizona. Awesome. Thanks for being on the show with me today. No problem. So we were talking about Santan Valley. Mm-hmm. Do you live in Santan Valley? Yeah. How long have you been there? I've been there my entire life. Oh, technically. okay. Uh, well, we were in Gilbert until um, I was two, and we bought our house out there on my second birthday, actually. Okay. So, yeah, so I've been out there basically my entire life. And yeah. all of that time, I mean, Gilbert, Santan Valley, yeah. East Valley, and then even farther <laughs> East Valley. Yeah. What is that been like I think the general impression I have of the East Valley I didn't really grow up in the East East yeah. Valley but I did grow up in Chandler and Tempe and yeah. I think general impression is it's not the most accessible environment yeah. and sometimes it's not the safest environment yeah for people especially something very rural like it's very rural where mm, I'm at yeah. like literally I can walk out my front door and I can see horses um, that's very rural deal. yeah um kind of deal and so I mean, I'm not allowed to use the men's restroom at school um, because they're worried about my safety going into the men's restroom. They're worried about me getting hate crimed and stuff because it is that rural. And a lot of kids, a lot of kids have problems with me, um, especially being president of the GSA club and stuff. So a lot of kids know 
um, and I'm very open and proud about, like, being trans and being bisexual and stuff, and so a lot of kids aren't educated on, like, what it actually means to be trans and, like, just LGBTQ in general, and so a lot of kids, they'll have problems with me without even meeting me, and then they get to know me, and then they realize, like, oh, this is, like... I was just brought up wrong and like the education that they were given by their parents and stuff was not accurate right to like the information we have now um like one of my best friends super country super mormon and he was like extremely against it until he met me oh yeah and now if i'm saying like if i say that i'm like dysphoric or something he'll Mm -hmm. go on a 30 minute rant on why I like masculine that day or something oh, wow. like that. Yeah. <laughs> so he's a really cool dude. And so yeah. a lot of the time it just takes like educating people. And that's a big thing that like my school's GSA we're doing this year is like we're putting up posters and like each month we're putting up a different poster about like um, different identities within the LGBTQ community and stuff. And so we're putting them up around school because we have a lot of LGBTQ kids a lot who are not out because of their safety. Well, so that's something I want to ask about that safety question. Yeah. You mentioned not being allowed to use the men's restroom mm-hmm. because of a safety consideration. Yeah. But it's not a safety consideration that you're making. It's Yeah, it's the, the school school's... is still excluding you. Yeah. Under the the banner of safety. And so I wondered how do you feel about that policy? Honestly, I I appreciate the fact that they give me a restroom. So they don't make me go into the girls' restroom. Okay. They let me use the nurses' restroom. Um, and I appreciate the fact that they do that because I have been deliberately told by guys that if they saw me in the men's restroom, they would beat me up. Okay. So it's not an abstract yeah. safety Yeah, risk. so it's like... So there's a lot of kids who don't feel safe going into either of the restrooms, and so they also use the nurses' restroom. Okay. But... I know when I was at ASU prep, that was not an option. At my old school, that was not an option. And so they basically were like, no, you have to use a girl's restroom. And so I definitely appreciate being able to, like, actually have, like, my own restroom and have somewhere where, like, I can feel safe to just use a restroom. So it's definitely nice. And it's a big change from not being given that option at all. Is that the main reason you left ASU prep? That played a big portion into it, okay. and a lot of kids, a lot of kids had known me for a decade at that point. We'd grown up together, yeah. and it wasn't those kids that had problems with naming pronouns, it was the new kids. Oh, interesting. Which didn't really make sense to me, because I came out, like, the second week of eighth grade year, so, like, most of these kids barely even knew me, and my eighth grade year, they let in a whole slew of new kids like I had grown up with the same like 60 kids for most of my life and then they let in like 100 brand new kids like I hadn't even seen a fight before my eighth grade year like my eighth grade year was the first time there was like an actual legit fight at school Um, well that's a huge change from yeah a relatively small and and Mm long-standing group yeah that big of a culture change is yeah pretty hard to yeah especially being at, like, a prep school and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, like, I think as of now, we have a total of six kids left. 
from that original class? From the original 60 kids wow. of my kindergarten class. There's six kids left, three of which are triplets. So, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So um, there are not a lot of kids left. And it was the same way with my brother's class. He had three kids with a total of 30 students from his oh, original, wow. and only three graduated. That 10% rate is yeah. pretty dismal I yeah. think is this just a lot of people leaving for other schools yeah it's a lot of kids leaving for public school okay and I think a large portion is like a lot of us realize now that we have a lot of like genius kid burnout um mm, yeah <laughs> growing up like in a prep school where we were always two years ahead in every single class right to going to a public school where stuff just wasn't as difficult I feel like it played into a part of, like, why I don't do as well in school now and stuff is, like, I just kind of have that, like, childhood burnout of, like, always having to be, like, on top of everything and then not having to, especially with COVID and stuff like that. I imagine COVID has to be a huge disruption. Yeah. Dealing with the kind of threats of violence from being trans. It was, yeah, it was definitely a crazy time because I left... At Christmas break and I went to middle school and I got third quarter and that was it because it was that spring break that COVID happened. Oh, wow. So I literally got a quarter of public school before I was going into public high school. Wow. Yeah. And it was pretty crazy. It was definitely a culture shock. I bet. Like massive culture shock for sure. And I imagine, I mean, that's coming after sort of a reverse culture shock yeah. at your other school. Yeah. And is this around the same time that you were coming out as trans? Too? Yeah. So okay. I basically, so I came out originally to my parents and stuff when I was 11. Okay. And then when I was 13, so eighth, beginning of eighth grade year was when I came out as trans publicly to everyone and started going by Samuel and all that. And that's when I left ASU Prep at the end of first semester and went to middle school because I knew I wanted to go to high school and middle school is the main middle school that feeds into high school. Oh, I see. Yeah. Because it's like the only high school out by us um, unless you go to like... And then that's kind of a farther drive. Yeah. So... I know now that you're, you were saying you're the president of your GSA. Mm-hmm. Were you involved in school leadership like that before? So ASU Prep didn't have, like, anything. Oh, Um, really? There was nothing. And it was just a large fact was we were still kind of in middle school um, at the time. But, like, we had transferred to the high school. Eighth grade was at the high school with the high schoolers um, because most of us took high school classes at that point. Um, But the high school, they still don't have any type of LGBTQ group. Um, there and it's just it's such a small school Um, I think at the high school campus um, which it's all on the ASU prep polytechnic camp and then we have like our own building so there's two different buildings you have pre-k through sixth grade and then you have seventh through twelfth on like one part of the campus okay and then 7th and 8th graders have their own building, and 9th through 12th has their own building. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. But at the time, it was just 8th through 12th when I left. I see. Um, but I And so it was small enough there weren't really clubs yeah. and things like that. Um, you had, like, NHS, Key Club or whatever, yeah. but it was mostly just, like, sports. 
I think we had like a fencing club. And that was That's kind of fun. Yeah. Um, Were you involved in any sports? Yeah. So I did winter guard from first through seventh grade. So I didn't perf- I didn't perform my eighth grade year because I was leaving. Mm. And then we won states my seventh grade year. I was on the high school level team okay. at that point. So and that was the year that I got my first concussion as well. Oh man. Yeah, I was at um, Arizona Regionals during the finals because we made it past the semifinals. We made it to the finals, and I did a toss, and I got hit in the head with my flag. Oh, gosh. And then I had to hang upside down on a tree, so that was fun with a concussion. I imagine that's not something that's a gendered activity, right? Not really, no. Okay. Um, it tends to be, at a younger age, more like female-dominated, mm-hmm. Um, but when you get to the college level teams and high school level teams, there's a lot more guys. I see. Still mostly like a feminine sport, but guys are getting into it a lot more these and days. Not something that would be affected by the new laws against yeah, no. trans participation. Yeah. So it's definitely not one that's going to be affected because um, it's a gender neutral, doesn't yeah. matter, which is a good thing because I plan on continue i'm not doing it this year but i plan on continuing on a college level team next year oh cool so and with the gsa club that Mm -hmm. you've been president of did you get into that right away how has that been going um yeah so basically my so i'm a junior this year my freshman year i reached out to the advisor towards the end of the year because i didn't know we actually had one being in such a rural school i didn't think we would have one (laughs) It was his last year there, so we were getting a new advisor. So I took over as um, acting president for one whole meeting before the end of the school year (laughs) um, with our new advisor. And then, if I'm not mistaken, she actually lost her prep hour, so she doesn't have a prep hour this year. So she teaches all six periods. Oh, Um, wow. Yeah, so she doesn't get a prep hour like most teachers, so she's extremely busy. So we got a new advisor this year as well. Um, That's a lot of turnover. Yeah. The guy who originally had it, he had it for like, I want to say like five or six years. Oh, okay. Um, So it's just been recently, there's been a lot of turnover um, just because he retired and then the other teacher got busy. Do you think the pandemic is a factor too? I think the pandemic definitely played a part in like, I think the pandemic played a part in the original advisor leaving, as well as the last advisor not having a prep hour this year. I think COVID definitely, yeah, staffing issues um, definitely played a part into it. Luckily this year we were able to find someone, and she's also LGBTQ, um, which is pretty awesome. Um, And she is, if I'm not mistaken, the last LGBTQ teacher lasting now. So my freshman year... We had four on campus, and now we're down to one. They all left last year. So for... Do you know what's going on with that? I think they mostly, like, a lot of teachers left. Like, we lost our entire science department other than one teacher. And two of them were in the science department. So it's not necessarily a LGBT-specific thing. But yeah, two of them were in the science department, and the other one is actually married to the advisor. Oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah. It's definitely pretty awesome. She lets us mostly 
it's mostly me who like runs the club and stuff. She just kind of yeah. gives us a space to do it in. I think um, technically they're supposed to be student-led, yeah. right? Yeah. And some kids had problems with it, like, last year with our other advisor, her, like, not really doing anything. But she always sent out, like, reminders. She always, like, did everything in the Google Classroom. But it was mostly just meant to be, like, we let it. And then she just did any, like, legal paperwork and stuff like that was for her to do. Yeah. So. And I think that's a good balance. You yeah. get to practice some leadership skills. Mm -hmm. What do you see as some of the challenges of leadership? What are some of the big decisions you've had to make? Um, I would say some of the biggest decisions that I've had to make like as a leader was advising people to leave the club. Oh, interesting. Because of a new law that got signed in just recently, it gives parents the right to have like written and electronic access to club participation psychological records counseling records stuff like that and at this point we don't know how deep into detail those things go and for some students safety i had to advise them to leave the club this year oh wow so that they could physically like stay safe at home and stuff like that because the last thing i needed was for it to be like they were part of the club and then their parents were asking and then they had yeah. to get outed and something happened to them. So I think that was a big thing with this year that was really sucked was having yeah. to advise people to leave. Making a decision like that I think is challenging because when you're communicating it to those kids, mm -hmm. you, you have to convey a lot of information yeah. all at once and you have to explain your reasoning and you have to see how they respond to it. Yeah. What did you do to prepare for those conversations? I talked a lot with my vice president um, as well as with my advisor. We knew that it was something that we may have to worry about coming into the future, but at this time, administration can't give us a clear answer on like what exactly, what policies are going to go into place. Mm -hmm. And so it was just really hard to have to... I ended up making a separate time to just speak with them and let them know, like, hey for like your safety the best option for you as of right now is to leave the club until we know what policies are going to be going yeah. into place so it definitely sucked having to like especially because they were new to the club right. um and it's their senior year and stuff and so it really sucked but a big thing that we're going to push for this year is names preferred names so the name that shows up when attendance is printed for a sub, we want it to be the preferred name, not the legal name, as well as the name that is called at graduation and the name that is on the diploma. That's the big thing that we were originally, that was supposed to be my senior plan. Um, so I have to find a new senior plan now because <laughs> um, we always do like a big thing every year, um, like a big policy change is the goal. But originally, it was going to be wearing the same colored gowns for graduation. Because oh, yeah. originally, we were split, split between girls and boys. Boys wore black, girls wore red. Um, but it ended up being that administration did it over the summer. Oh, okay. So, so now you're yeah, embarking so now on this doing, project. Yeah, so now we have the name changes, what we're focusing on. How does that kind year. of policy advocacy work inside of your school? Um, a lot of emails. 
Oh, yeah. A lot of emails. Um, we have a brand new administration this year. Oh, wow. Like top to bottom of your administrative staff? Basically, or? except for, I think, like three people. Oh, wow. But like our, we have a new um, principal, a new VP, and so they're much more supportive. And it's not necessarily that the last principals weren't supportive. They just didn't care. That's a good distinction. Yeah. They just, they never contacted me. But like the new principal, she's like, hey, I really want to come in and sit on a meeting, like one of your guys' meetings. And so it's definitely nice to have administration who is actually like trying to like actually be a part of the change. Yeah. um, Versus just kind of avoiding it. Um, which is what it felt like a lot last year. So it's definitely nice to have the new administration for sure. And I'm sure that changes your approach to yeah. advocacy. Yeah. You know, you have at least on some level a partner in the mm-hmm. administration. Yeah. Especially having a partner at such high level administration. Right. It's kind of nice. Yeah. Um, and it's not necessarily even high school in general. It's district. That's the problem. Um, that we run into my freshman year before I legally changed my name, we had in parentheses the name that I wanted to go by. Um, oh, right. And I had it all of first semester. And second semester district was like, no, you can't do that. So the school district overrode the policy yeah. of the school. Yeah, and it's really weird because, like, there's a section in like our thing that's like preferred name but you can't put anything in it it's not accessible to anyone so it says preferred name Mm -hmm. but there's no way for anyone in administration of any kind to edit it wow so it's just (laughs) it's just an option that's not an option yeah and so a big thing is even if we can't get to where that's the main name that shows up I want to get to the point where we at least have the option to enter that into the system. Right. Because we don't even have that option. At least make the system functional. Yeah. yeah. How do you go about then advocating with the school district? Do you have to go to the governing board or are there administrative people? So right now I've been mostly in contact with administration. Um, administration is getting in contact with district for me. I see. Okay. Because if I'm not mistaken, I can't make any formal things. It's administration that has to make formal things. I see. Okay. But I've been in contact with administration and they've been in contact with district. So that's interesting. Yeah. And I imagine that with less helpful people that could just slow it down to the yeah. point where you could graduate and then yeah. it would have to get handed off to some other student yeah. leader. So. Yeah. Um, and it's nice. This year I have my vice president who's been my vice president since last year. Um, and they will be taking over for me. So next year I will, I will still technically have like the title of president. Mm -hmm. However, I will be stepping back from my presidents, like, um, what I need to do. They will be taking over as like basically acting president and they will be training a new vice president that's excellent yeah so basically i'm training them right now to be president Mm -hmm. they will then next year um over my supervision train the next vice president to be the president when they graduate so 
I think every organization needs to have that kind of succession planning. Yeah. But in a high school GSA club, <laughs> someone might not be president for more than two years. Yeah. And so you're constantly in that kind of succession yeah. planning mode. Yeah. So especially with next year being my senior year, and then the next year will be their senior year. So we kind of just have to get it to where we have that continuous movement. Yeah. But I think they're... Oh, no, they're sophomores. Next year is their junior year. So, yeah. Okay, so they'll so, be around. Yeah, so they'll be around and stuff. So I think next year we're going to make it that, um, to be on part of, like, the leadership part, so secretary, treasurer, stuff like that, um, you have to be a junior. So okay. I think we're going to make that. So president will be a senior, and then um, VP will be a junior is basically the goal. That so, makes sense. Yeah. You mentioned um, how your relationship to these policies changed before and after you updated your legal name. Yeah. I don't think a lot of people really know how that works for minors. Yeah. Um, I could tell people how it works for me. I did it as an adult. Yeah. Um, but it's not the same. Yeah. Can you tell me about your experience dealing with all of that? Um, it was a lot of work and a lot of money. I want to say just just getting the name legally changed was, I believe, $450 wow. as a minor. You have to get parental consent. Obviously, parents have to write off on it. If you're above the age of 13, I believe you have to actually show up for the hearing as well. Oh, wow. Um, or you have to, like, sign a paper saying that, like, yeah. you consent to the name change. I went to my hearing. Um, my first hearing, we didn't have my social security number oh, God. <laughs> uh, anywhere, surprisingly enough. So we ended up, um, they were able to fit us in later that day, thankfully. Oh, that's good. Um, but it was a process getting, my parents are separated, so we had to get two new birth certificates. Wow. I had to get a new social security card, had to get a new passport, and I needed my passport like fast as well. Because um, I was supposed to be going on a trip to Berlin, Prague, Krakow, and Budapest. So you really need a passport. Yes, yeah, so I really needed a passport um, by a certain date. I had like 180 days before the trip. I needed my passport. Yeah, um, that's a very compressed timeline. Yeah, so we were rushing, and passports were so hard to get because it was like right when COVID started being less worse. And so oh, everyone yeah. was <laughs> like starting to fly and needing new passports. So there's a whole administrative backlog mm -hmm. and everything. Yeah, so it took, normally passports take, like, and the longest we've ever had a passport take was like a month. Mm -hmm. um, and it took, I think it took two and a half months for me to get my passport. Wow. And all through this process, you're not just dealing with like one administrative body. Yeah. There's actually a whole bunch. So yeah. what was the hearing with, that's with the county? Or? Uh, yeah, that was with the county. Okay. Um, and so basically he was just like, my judge, she was like, why do you want to change your name? And I was like, well, I'm trans. I'm about to be getting my license soon. I've been living this way for three years at this point. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be starting testosterone soon. I'm pretty sure on, like, who I am at this point. And so that was a big reason that, like, I got my name changed. And just going in to, like, my sophomore year, I did not want to deal with, like, the whole figuring out the name thing. With districts and all that. Yeah. yeah. So that was a main reason, especially with me getting my license soon and stuff like that. 
it was just easier to get it all done. And once you go through the county process, then you have to go to the Social Security Administration, the MVD. Mm -hmm. The clerks, the county clerk or whatever to get my um, immunization um, place to get new birth certificates and stuff like that. How was the birth certificate process? You were born here in Arizona? Yeah, so I was born here in Arizona, so it was pretty easy. I just had to get a new Arizona um, birth certificate. And you could update the gender marker and your name and everything? Could not update gender markers. Just so your name. gender marker in the state of Arizona, you have to be two years medically transitioned or I've had a gender-affirming surgery oh, wow. okay. to get it changed. So I'll be able to change it. If I do get top surgery this summer, I'll be able to change it then. If not, I will change it when I turn 18 Okay. Um, because I'll be two years on testosterone at that point. And that's something that the uh, legal struggle around gender-affirming care will affect for Mm -hmm. a lot of people. Yeah, and so it's definitely, it's weird because, like, my birth certificate has an F. My license has an X. Um, oh, right. And then my passport has an M. So you're just <laughs> all across the spectrum. Yeah, so I'm just all <laughs> across the spectrum. Um, and so it was really funny because we had to bring in, like, a second piece of, like, identification. And so we brought my license and my passport and my birth certificate when we had to go get my new Social Security card. Oh, yeah. And none of the genders matched up. Yeah. And so then we had to have... We had to have my brother send me a photo of my old birth certificate. Um, And that was the only way that they would let me get my new social security card was to prove with my old birth certificate and stuff. So, but yeah. It becomes uh, just a convoluted mess at a certain point. Yeah. I'd love to get your take on everything that's going on with this gender-affirming care battle. I think the first time I was aware of you is when you went to testify at a committee meeting about that bill. Yeah. I know that one of the things that's good about the bill that passed is that it mostly doesn't ban a lot of care. Yeah. But one of the things it does change is some gender-affirming surgeries for transmasculine people. Yeah. So a big thing that right now we are kind of like in contact with lawyers and Mm -hmm. stuff, and we're just trying to understand if these only abide by Arizona. So does it mean, like, can I go out of state to get surgery done? And so that's a big thing that we're trying to figure out right now is can I go out of state to get surgery under the age of 18? It wasn't a huge deal at the time, like the surgery part, because my dad and my mom were very set in stone, like no surgeries before you're 18, And then it was mostly my mom didn't really do any research on it because my dad was a firm no, um, and he had 50% legal decision-making, but he doesn't anymore. Um, My mom has final say, so now she's looking into it more, um, and her work will actually fly me out of state um, to get gender-affirming Is that a policy that... Yeah, created. Um, that was they created it right after Roe v. Wade got overturned. Okay. So they will fly people out of state for abortions as well as gender affirming care, which is pretty awesome. Of yeah, that's a really good policy. Yeah, and they've been super good, especially with like updating their policies. They just started 
they started covering testosterone. So I pay like 10 bucks um, a month for like four vials of testosterone, which I have an abundance of testosterone now (laughs) because my doctor has it set up where I get four vials um, every like 28 days. Mm. But I go through like one vial every 28 days. Oh, interesting. (laughs) So I have like nine unopened like testosterone vials that I'm just like, so we open my dosage soon or like what's going on. Yeah. I think sometimes there's a ramp up and they just prescribe the whole amount from the start. So, but yeah, so it's definitely cool that they do that. And there's been a lot of talks about covering gender affirming surgeries starting next year. That's right. Because a lot of insurance companies are starting to realize that it isn't cosmetic and that it is a medically necessary surgery. And so that's a big reason that like insurance companies haven't covered it in the past is because they saw it as cosmetic. Are you worried about a version of that bill coming back next year? I am extremely worried that that is something that will happen. I know there's a few that I'm worried will revamp. One being like, I think it had something to do with like names and pronouns, like, um, there was a bill that said, um, you, schools couldn't set a disciplinary policy yeah. for teachers who wanted to misgender students. Yeah. Um, so that was like one that kind of worries me about like coming back and stuff because it didn't move super far this past year. It really but, didn't. Um, I think it got read like once and then that was it. Um, but I am worried that with these like two new laws that came into place that more like laws like that are going to get further into yeah um discussions so it seems like people are emboldened whether it's students in your school or lawmakers they're emboldened to make more yeah aggressive statements it's a concerning time Mm -hmm. i think yeah but I'm really glad that I got into, like, activism and all that stuff because it's always been something that interests me. And it's kind of sad that, like, it was because, like, legislators were attacking my rights and stuff. But yeah. I'm definitely glad that I, like, got into it. So Yeah, and you're doing it at a lot of different levels. Yeah. Whether it's government or just your own school policies. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think that's great. Yeah. Thanks for being on the podcast no with me problem. today. No problem. Thanks again to Samuel for taking the time out of his day to be my guest on the podcast. It's not an easy world out there right now for trans kids or trans teenagers, and it's not like it's easy for trans adults either, but we're adults. It's really something special to see Samuel carry himself the way he carries himself and conduct himself as a leader in the circumstances that we all have to live under right now. So I I hope that doesn't go underappreciated. If you've listened all the way to the end of this episode, we could really use your support. So please consider visiting equalityarizona.org events today to get signed up for some of our volunteer opportunities in the month of October. And if you want to help promote the podcast, you could leave a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Thanks so much for listening and talk to you again next week.